This is Rosen Institute's Your Law Firm, covering management, marketing, finance, and new technologies for growing your law firm. Here's Lee Rosen. It's good to be with you today from Edinburgh, Scotland. We flew over here yesterday from Tallinn, Estonia. Interestingly, we got pretty thoroughly interrogated by an immigration officer as we departed Estonia. The rule is that the Schengen Agreement, which encompasses a bunch of European countries, including Estonia, allows an American to be in the Schengen area for 90 out of 180 days. We were aware of that, and so we carefully calculated our 90 days. But during the past 180 days, we have zipped in and out of the Shenzhen countries. And so we knew exactly how many days we'd been in Shenzhen, but it was a complicated math problem involving six different time period. So it was a bit of a mess for the immigration official looking at our passports and trying to calculate all of these days and dates. Now, this would not have been a problem for us. We could have stood there and talked to her all day, but we had a flight to catch and we didn't have very much time between being in the immigration line and needing to be at the gate. Well, she pulled out a calendar and she started marking off days and then she was counting things. At one point, I felt like she was counting with her fingers. We were going back and forth trying to agree on which days we had entered and exited, and she had some trouble reading the stamps in our passports. I would have thought there was an automated system, but apparently not. So she finally got it all figured out. She stamped our passports, and we took off running for the plane. We made it to the gate just in time, and thankfully, we're now in Scotland. It's time for your tech tip. Rosen Institute used a bank to make deposits and withdrawals, but the bank that we used, I guess it's only kind of a bank because it's one of the new breed of banks falling into what is referred to commonly as the fintech category, whatever it is that that means. I kind of think that fintech really means bank started by two smart young folks, one of whom has a background in finance and the other has a background in technology. And by smart, I mean smart enough to talk to a couple of venture capitalists and get them to invest a small fortune in their idea to reinvent banking by doing all these amazing things like holding your money for you and then giving it back to you when you want it. They give you those services for free. You using probably that money they got from the venture capitalists, and they add on a bunch of bells and whistles also for free, like they let you make ACH transfers or wire transfers, or they reimburse you for the ATM fees. They give you all this free stuff until, I guess, they run out of the money that the venture capitalists gave. And then the fintech bank, they start to charge you for the free stuff, and they look a lot more like a bank. In fact, they look exactly like a bank once they stop giving you free stuff. Well, we got the free stuff. We had a fintech bank account at Brex. Now, I use the past tense here because we no longer have an account at Brex. Brex was fine. They were a very nice fintech company, and they had no fees, and they gave us lots of free stuff, and they were very kind to us in terms of getting the job done and not charging us for it. But they sent us a letter 
later and they closed our account. They were nice about it. They gave me advance notice and it was all very up and up. It turns out that they closed most of their small business accounts so that they can focus on their ideal client, the much bigger businesses, particularly in the technology industry. And I have to say that I commend them for that move. Most of us are afraid to let go of the clients and customers that we shouldn't be serving. We hang on to our crappy clients. We live in this state of constant fear that we'll never get another new client. Well, that wasn't the case for Brex. They fired me and my crappy account and they didn't look back. They're focused on their ideal customer. So good for them. So that leads us to your tech tip. I guess today it's your fintech tip, and the tip is have a banking backup plan. Go ahead and set up a second account, whether it's at a fintech bank or a normal bank, whatever. Find one of these no-fee accounts and get it ready. Get it organized. Get it all set up. You'll need to send them some documents and make sure you jump through the hoops, but have that backup bank account ready to go. This is a 30-minute activity, so it's no big deal. And then you're ready if something goes wrong with your primary bank account. If you get an email like I got from Brex cutting you off, well, you'll just shift gears and move on to your backup bank account. So just open the account, deposit a dollar or whatever it is, and let it sit there waiting for you in case you ever need it. I'll tell you that I've done it now. I not only opened my new account when Brex told me to hit the bricks, I also also opened a backup account so we are ready to go on a moment's notice. When you get your termination letter like I did, you won't miss a beat because you'll have that backup account. That's your fintech tip. And now for your moment of concise advice. Think about a business in which the boss demonstrates favoritism toward a particular employee. Maybe the boss is an older guy and the employee is a younger woman. And to most of the employees in the business, it looks like she's given a little more flexibility with her work schedule than the rest of the employees. Maybe she gets more time off when she needs it. Maybe it goes a little further than that. Maybe she gets a better office than everybody else. Maybe she's got better windows or more space. Maybe when she complains about something, her complaints get addressed and all the other employees feel like their complaints get ignored. Things happen when she raises issues. And if she's angry with somebody in the office, if she's angry with another employee, well, that employee tends to suffer the consequences by losing out on opportunities or promotions. This woman, her upsets, they get a response when other folks are just told that they need to cope with the situation. The whole game in that business, it seems rigged by the older guy in favor of this younger woman. That's the way the employees perceive it. And I suspect that you can 
easily imagine this situation. And that business, when you look at it carefully, you see that the rumor mill, it's on fire. People are talking a lot behind his back and her back. Folks are speculating about whether these two have a sexual relationship or whether he's just attracted to her or whether she's handling him in some way. I have no idea what else people might be saying, but you can be sure that there's a lot of talk about the two of them and what's going on in the business. You may have worked somewhere and seen this sort of thing happen in real life. If you haven't, though, you've certainly heard stories. Now, it could be something very different. It may not necessarily be an older man and a younger woman. It may not be a sexual relationship or even appear to be a sexual relationship. There are all sorts of relationships in offices where favoritism seems to be the outcome. And when that goes on, when that happens, the result is always negative. The business gets damaged. There's a lack of productivity. Performance levels are lowered. There's resentment. There is a lack of teamwork. There's a likelihood that there is more turnover among the team members. The team members end up focused on the wrong things instead of on the work that needs to be done. And so these relationships that we're talking about and the favoritism that comes from them, well, that throws the business out of balance. It breaks the business in some key ways. Lots of issues are percolating below the surface and above the surface in businesses where this sort of favoritism is going on. Now, there doesn't have to be anything wrong or bad or evil about the relationship that has resulted in what appears to be favoritism. There doesn't have to be a romantic foundation. It doesn't have to be sinister. It doesn't have to be financial. It it may simply be that two people in the business have grown close to one another over time. They've become very close friends. The root of the favoritism doesn't really matter. What matters is that the favoritism causes problems. These relationships resulting in favoritism, they create friction. Your team members come to believe that they are being damaged by the favoritism. They believe that they are at a disadvantage inside the business. They believe that their chances of success or promotion or advancement, that they are diminished by the favoritism. Favoritism is toxic, and that's true whether the favoritism is actually happening or whether it's just perceived by the employees. Favoritism is a problem in a business. We see it all the time. We can all agree that when there is favoritism, it creates issues for the members of the team and that creates issues for the business. Now, I say all of that to lead us to a quick discussion of nepotism. Family relationships in a business, they create a perception of favoritism. When we bring family members onto the team in our law firm, we often end up with the other team members believing 
that there is favoritism, and favoritism causes problems. We have a fair number of Rosen Institute members who have family relationships within their law firms. Sometimes the lawyers in the firm are married to one another. Sometimes the lawyer is married to a staff member. Sometimes the lawyer who owns the law firm is the parent of a lawyer or a staff member in the law firm. There are lots of different possible combinations, but you get the idea. There are family relationships within the law firm. These relationships, they just happen all the time. It's pretty natural for it to happen in a business. Some lawyers start their law firm with relatives. That happens all the time. Or we hire relatives because we trust them to work in the law firm. Sometimes we meet someone at the office and we end up getting married. We marry one of the people that worked in the law firm. Now we're all working together and we end up with these family businesses, even if that might not have been the original plan. Family relationships within law firms, they just happen all the time. And this perception of favoritism is very, very common in those firms where there are family relationships. The example that I mentioned at the outset of this conversation, the older man demonstrating favoritism toward the younger woman and the issues that that created for the team, well, that's the exact same situation that we're dealing with when we're dealing with family members working together. The perception of favoritism in a family business is as big a problem as it is in any business. It's a problem for you if you have family members working in the law firm and you also have non-family members working in the law firm. The perception of favoritism inside the law firm by the non-family members, it's destructive in all the ways that we've already discussed. I've had a fair number of conversations with law firm owners who employ family members. And when we talk about it and we talk about favoritism, they quickly grasp the problem. They get it pretty quickly. They understand that they need to treat everyone on the team fairly. And they can see how these family relationships are perceived by the non-family members and how they might impact the the employees who are not part of the family. But those same law firm owners, those folks who've got family inside the law firm, they often get defensive. They explain the history and how the relationships came to be and how the business came to be. They often tell me that the employees on the team, the non-family members, that they actually prefer the arrangement because they feel that a family business is a good positive, safe environment. They tell me that the employees love the family nature of the business. And maybe that's true, but that's not been my experience. That's not what I hear when I have talked to those very same employees. Those employees, they feel the favoritism. They believe that they are less valued. They worry about their future, about their security. They don't think the business is well run based on merit and achievement. They see exceptions being made, accommodations being made for the family members. They see the favoritism. These relationships with family inside the business, they're carried on in public. There's nothing sinister or sneaky about it. There's nothing secret about it, but they're just as damaging as that scenario between the older man and the younger woman. These family relationships, they generate suspicion and anxiety and resentment, and the rumor mill 
continues to roll forward. The employees in a family-operated law firm, they believe that the game is rigged against them. And no matter how much the leader of the family business downplays the family connection, the employees don't buy it. They assume that by virtue of the relationship, there's going to be favoritism, and they do not perceive the operation to be based on achievement and performance and merit. They figure that they don't have much of a shot at advancement and that the relative is going to move up or that the relative is going to become the owner or that the relative is going to have the inside track for whatever it is that the family member wants. It's a tough situation. It's a hard problem to solve. Family businesses are complicated. Now, I've watched a few family-operated law firms soar. They do pretty well. But often, when I dig around in those law firms with family members on the team, I figure things out that allow me to generally believe that family-operated law firms are a lot harder to make successful. Being in a family business is a little bit like tying a car tire to a rope and then tying the rope around your waist and then going for a run, dragging that tire behind you. I had a paralegal who did that in training for an Ironman. He ran with a tire behind him to make the run harder. And that tire, it slowed him down. He believed it made him stronger, and it probably did. It probably allowed him to do a lot better in his triathlons. But I'll tell you this. A family-run law firm, it's a lot like that tire, and it's probably going to slow you down. And I kind of doubt that that family law firm is getting stronger. We sometimes hold family businesses in high esteem. We see them being successful, and we wonder if the family was the secret ingredient that made that business so successful. But quite often, the success of those family businesses, when you drill down, when you dig in, you find out that the big success of that business was based on something that happened before the family members joined the business. Sometimes it turns out that the founder of the business had the big wins and that the rest of the family came on later. In other instances, studying the family business makes you wonder if they'd have been more successful without those family members and without the associated drama that comes with those family members. There simply isn't much evidence that family business means good business. Now, you can run a small family business consisting only of family members, and that would be very different. I'm not arguing against families running businesses together, but when you add people from outside the family that usually doesn't work out as well as it should. Now, I'm not the first person to raise these issues. There are countless consulting firms specializing in family businesses. They don't do that because they're interested in families. They do it because that specialty is a great marketing niche because so many family businesses are broken. When you create a family business, you're creating a job for a family business consultant because the odds are good that things are not going to go as planned, and that's going to be because it's a family business. The solutions, and there are lots of solutions, they're pretty apparent. One option is to limit the team to family members. The outsiders are out, so you won't have favoritism toward family members if everybody is a family member. Another option is to break the family business up for each family member in the law firm to go do their own thing in their own place, to let their work life be separate from the family. My bet is that they'll do better overall. My other bet 
that is that when they look back on it, they'll avoid taking roles in a family business. They will have learned that lesson. Now, finally, there's an approach of using one of these family business consultants that I just mentioned. They can try to help you fix things, but let's be realistic. We're dealing with favoritism. Favoritism is such an intangible thing living in the minds of the members of your team. Fixing it is really difficult. I wouldn't be optimistic about the consultant coming in and fixing the favoritism problem. I think it's inherent in a family business. It might be worth trying a consultant, but my sense is that that's not going to get you the result that you like. Bottom line, there are some successful family businesses out there. That's certainly the case. But those family businesses might have been more successful without the family. That's your moment of concise advice. Wrapping up from Edinburgh, Scotland, thanks for spending a few minutes with me today. I hope you have a great weekend and an even better week next week. Keep plugging away, moving forward, getting things done. You're on the right track. You'll get there, I promise. We're all in this together, and together we build better practices through better marketing, better management, and better technology. Until next time, I'm Lee Rosen. Thanks for listening to Your Law Firm. Visit rosensrules.com for our free course on the 10 critical rules all successful law firms follow.